You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, let's pray and we'll jump into it. Father, we love you tonight. We praise you and thank you for your goodness, your mercy and your grace. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for the Lord Jesus and all that he's done for us. Again, for the tremendous price that he paid to redeem us, to deliver us, to buy us back to you, to purchase our salvation. Father, we thank you that because of what he did for us, we are healed tonight. We are blessed. Uh, we stand before you clean and holy as though sin never existed because we are the righteousness of God. And so we're so grateful for that. Father, we thank you for the word of God tonight. We approach it with reverence and with honor. We believe, Father, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit to, to teach us, to lead and guide us into all truth and to bring light and revelation to us. And Father, because of it, we'll be different, we'll be better, and we'll be doers of what we hear and, and not just hearers only. And we thank you for it and give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles uh, to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and I'm going to meet you there in just a few minutes, I want to, or just a couple of minutes, I want to hit on a couple of things that just points that I just want to remind us of every week to keep them fresh in our understanding and fresh before us. And so, again, this is week number four in our series on spiritual warfare, and uh so again, all of the notes will be available on the website. You can download them there or you can read them later on in case you miss something. But uh, one of the, the main points that I want to always keep in front of us is this, and that the real battle, the real warfare took place between the Lord Jesus and the devil when Jesus was uh, crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. He defeated the, the powers of darkness in his resurrection. And so, as I have said to you every week, whenever you're approaching the sub subject of spiritual warfare, we always need to approach it from a place of victory having already been obtained by Jesus for us. Now, let me say this to you. Everything Jesus did, he did not do it for himself. He did it for us. And so when he defeated the enemy, when he won the victory for us, he did not do that for himself. God already had the victory over the devil. We're the ones that needed victory over the devil. So what Jesus did, he paid that price. He did everything he did, not for himself, but for us. And so we always approach spiritual warfare from a place of we already have the victory. And again, I want to remind you of this. Approach healing the same way. Don't approach healing as though you're trying to get healed. Approach healing from the standpoint of you are already the healed. And uh, it'll help you in your faith to approach it from that standpoint. Now, we talked to you about three different aspects of 
spiritual warfare. And uh, let me just give those to you again. It starts with, spiritual warfare starts with dealing with your mind, taking control of your mind. As the Bible tells us that we renew our minds to the Word of God. And so that's where it starts. Number two, it, it, it comes with crucifying, dealing with our flesh. Now, the good news is if you'll deal with your mind and deal with your flesh, spiritual warfare becomes a whole lot easier. And I'll say this to you. God is not going to renew your mind for you. God is not going to deal with your flesh for you. That is something that we have to do. Now, he gives us the power and the ability through the Word of God and the Spirit of God to be able to do that, but uh, you're going to have to make up your mind. And again, when you deal with those two areas, renewing your mind, dealing with your flesh, and when I say flesh, I mean desires of the flesh, cravings of the flesh, those types of things. When you deal with that, the next part of, of spiritual warfare becomes a whole lot easier, and that is dealing with the devil, dealing with our adversary. And as we've talked about, you know, there are, uh, we're not going to talk about this tonight in detail, but remember that involved in your mind and involved in your flesh are the access points that the enemy's going to try to use to get to you. So when you deal with those areas, you, you're kind of cutting him off before he's able to uh, come at you in those areas. Now, I want to say this to you. As you grow in your walk with the Lord Jesus, and as you grow in your understanding of the Word of God, and revelation begins to come to you, and your knowledge of the Word and knowledge of the Lord begins to increase, you are going to have opportunities to use your faith and resist the devil. Okay, so just plan on that. Accept that. All right? Don't let attacks of the enemy be a surprise to you. We're warned all throughout the New Testament that those things are going to take place. So, you know, don't let it be a shock to you. Don't be surprised. Does Do you know what a preemptive strike is? Okay, let me give you a current modern day example. A pre, pre, preemptive strike is what happened when Russia invaded Ukraine. Okay, they just, here Ukraine was minding their own business. They're not hurting anybody. They're thriving. They're flourishing. And the Russian government decides that they want uh, things that Ukraine possesses. And so what do they do? They launch a preemptive strike in order to attack them. And the devil will do the same thing where you and I are concerned. And uh, so when, I want you to get this. So when he comes at you with an attack, I, I want to see if anybody on here tonight has ever heard this before. You know you're the only one that's ever gone through that. You're the only one that's ever experienced that. Nobody in the world has ever experienced that temptation that adversity, that trial, nobody else has experienced that. You are the only one. This is a classic uh, tool that the enemy tries to do. And the reason that he does it is he wants to you to isolate yourself and to focus all of your attention on you. It, it, it causes you to fix your eyes on yourself. And then, you know, the next step is, 
what we're all guilty of, and that is a pity party. You know, the, if he can get you to believe that you're so special, that you're the only one that, that this attack has come, then you, the, the temptation is to begin to feel sorry for yourself and, and have that pity party. And so then, you know, that just opens the door to a whole lot of problems. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 with me. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to read it out of the New King James, and then I'm going to read it to you out of the New Living. The New King James says this, no temptation, and that's a temptation, test, or trial, has overtaken you except such as common to man. So if there is an attack that comes, it is common to man. In other words, uh, God will not let the devil pull something out of the air that has never been used on humanity before. Okay, so he says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted, tested, or tried beyond what you are able. Beyond what you're able to do what? Beyond what you are able to endure and overcome. And then he says, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to. To bear it. Now listen to this out of the, the New Living. It says this, the temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation, test, or trial to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. You know, if you, uh, if you are ever... Uh, driving somewhere and you end up in a situation to where you don't know exactly where you are. Now, thank God we have our phones and GPS and all of that, but isn't it comforting to know that even though you might be in that place that you're not real sure of, if you look at the map, you know that there is a way out. You know that you're not stuck there forever, that that situation is temporary. And what that does is that will help you be able to endure that situation knowing that you're going to come out on the other side. And of course, in light of what we're talking about now, you're going to come out on the other side victorious. Okay. Now make a note of this. A fight nearly always follows illumination, or you can say revelation if you want to, but a fight will nearly always follow illumination. So as I said to you, you can pretty much count on when you begin to grow in your walk with the Lord and you begin to grow in your knowledge of the word and, and, and revelation is coming to you by the Holy Spirit, then understand this, that there is probably going to be a fight that is coming. Now, not a fight with your spouse, a fight with your neighbor. No, I'm talking about a fight with your enemy the adversary, the devil, okay? Now turn over with me to Mark chapter four, please. Mark's gospel, the fourth chapter. Now Jesus made us a promise, okay? It's not a promise we like to claim like some of the other ones, but it's a promise nonetheless, okay? Mark chapter four and verse 14 and 15. Mark four, 14 and 15. Now, Jesus is giving the disciples and the people that were listening to him preach that day 
what we know as the parable of the sower. All right, so he says this in verse 14, the sower sows the word. Now the sower is the Holy Spirit or, or uh, the Heavenly Father bringing the word of God into your life. And verse 15 says this, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown when they hear, notice this, Satan comes immediately to, and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now, if you study this out, we're not going to do it tonight, but if you study this parable out, um, you will see in each type of soil that's represented here, which of course are the hearts of people, uh, that Satan comes in some shape or form immediately to try and take the word out of the heart of the people that heard it. So understand this, when you begin to grow in your walk with the Lord and you begin to receive insight from the word of God, the enemy is going to come. Now here's his main purpose. He's coming to try and get that word out of your heart because here's what he knows. If that word stays in your heart, it will gain ground, it'll, the roots will begin to grow, and then you'll begin to produce fruit from the seeds of that word. And he doesn't want you to begin to produce fruit from that. So the, let me ask you a question. Those of you, I mean, you, you got common sense, you, you can figure this out. When is it better to get rid of a, an oak tree? When it's an acorn and just been planted in the ground? Or after it's been planted and grown for 30 years and you got a root system developed underneath the ground that's probably bigger than what you see on top of the ground? which is easier. Of course, it's easier to tear that thing down when it's just the acorn. And so the devil is at least smart enough to know that, that if hey, he, he can get the word out of your heart when it's still a seed, then he it's a whole lot easier than when it's been rooted and grounded in you and, and is able to start producing in your life, okay? Now, your knowledge, my knowledge of how and when Satan attacks us will equip you to deal with what he does, those attacks intelligently. In other words, the good news about the word of God is God gives us insight on those attacks, what they're going to look like and how we can deal with them when they come. So can I say this to you? God has given us some inside information. He's given us, um, you know, and I have to go back to my military uh, insight, and that is this. God's given us intelligence on what our enemy is going to try and do. Why? So that we can just have that intelligence and kind of ho-hum and walk around and pretend like, you know, we're clueless. No, it's so that we can be prepared and ready for when the attack comes. And if we're prepared and we're ready, then, then our uh, chances, if you will, or opportunities to win and to gain the victory are exponentially grow and increase at that point. Okay. So, um, let go over with me to James chapter one, please. The book of James chapter one. And, uh, let's look at James chapter one, verse two. James chapter 1 and verse 2. 
Now, this is really interesting. And this is where, as I was saying to you, uh, you know, insight that someone like Rick Renner shares in that book, uh, where he's able to explain to you some of the things from the Greek. This is, uh, you're getting ready to see some really powerful things here. James 1, 2, uh, the King James says this, my brethren, count it all joy, and, and I want you to underline the next word. The scripture says, count it all joy when, not if, when. Mm -hmm. When what? When you fall or, or, or you encounter various trials. The New Living says this, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, here's what, what I wanted you to see. In that Greek word that is translated when, W-H-E-N, for us, it, it, the Greek word can be defined three ways. And let me give these to you, okay? The first one is this. These trials, these attacks, if you will, normally come when you least expect them. They normally come when you least expect them. I don't know about you, but, uh, you, you know, there, there have been times when I've encountered things, uh, temptations, tests, and trials, and, and I've step, stood back, stepped back from it and said, wow, I didn't see that coming, okay? And maybe you've encountered the same thing. And that's what that word when, W-H-E-N in the Greek means. Here's the second thing. They usually come from a direction you would have never dreamed of in a million years. So again, the first one, they come when you least expect them. And then secondly, they come from a direction that you could have never dreamed of. Okay. That's all in that word when. Now here's the third thing. And that is this. They are specifically designed to catch you off guard and to catch you by surprise, okay? So these attacks uh, that, that James tells us about here when he says that uh, when troubles come your way, that they're gonna come from a place that you least expect it, they're gonna come from a direction you would have never expected it, okay, or dreamed of, and then they're designed to catch you off guard. Now, why, why do you think the devil does that? Why do you think he targets attacks at us to catch us off guard or to come at us from a direction that we least expect? Again, because the opportunities for victory are less if you're caught off guard or if you're caught unawares. Because why? You know, human nature is, is uh, you know, wow, you know, I didn't see that coming. I really wasn't prepared for that. I didn't know how, you know, that it was coming, so I wasn't ready for it. And so the good news is that God gives us again that insight and tells us that that's the way it's usually going to come. Now, if you'll remember a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was, that we talked about, and uh, go back over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to remind you of this, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and look at verse 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4. Where the scripture says, 
Paul was talking to uh, the, the Corinthians and he said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. And verse 4 says this, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, if you remember, I told you that the Greek word for warfare is the same word we get our English word strategy from. Okay? So, if you can just make a note of that. So, what, what Paul is telling us is, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our strategies, the, the strategic weapons that God has given us are not carnal, but they're mighty in Him for pulling down strongholds. So you remember, here's the point of what I want you to see. You remember we said, said to you that when an attack comes, you're, you're going to win if you have a strategy for it. You have a plan for it, okay? And the good news is you can have this ahead of time. You can have this before the attack comes. It is possible to have a strategy for dealing with these attacks when they come, okay? Now, how do we do that? Well, let me just kind of describe that for you. If you are mentally prepared through the process of renewing your mind, as we said to you at the beginning of the lesson, if you're mentally prepared and alert to how the enemy can potentially come at you, then you've already eliminated half the battle. Why? Because he's going to try and work on your thinking. You know, worry, anxiety, all those types of things are here. They're, they're not in your heart. They're not in your spirit per se. They're in your mind. And so if you have already done some homework to deal with renewing your mind, then you have pulled the rug out from underneath his ability to be able to work in your thinking. Okay? So having a strategy and being mentally prepared eliminates the element of surprise. So let, let me describe to you what it looks like in the negative sense. So let's say, you know, you're minding your own business. You're doing your best to live for God and love him and, and, and you're reading the word and, and, or, you know, just, just doing what you know to do, going to church and so forth and so on. And all of a sudden this attack shows up, okay? And so it catches you off guard and you have no plan as far as how, what do I do? What, what scriptures do I need to look at? What, what is the process? What do I need to do with the word of God? And so what we do is because we don't know, we just cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. The Lord will help you. But here's what, what the second time that that happens, God's going to say to you, okay, uh, you, I, you asked me for help the first time. This time, I need you need to learn something so you can be prepared for this when it comes. Okay? Now, God's merciful. Don't misunderstand me. But what I want you to understand is, is God expects us to walk in what we know from the Word. All right? Now, the Scripture says in Hosea 4.6, don't just, you know, we won't turn there, but Hosea 4.6 tells us this. My people, God's people, are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. One of the reasons that the enemy is able to bring 
destruction into our lives and what, however that takes shape is because we're ignorant of what God's Word says. So, you know, and I go back to what I say very often, and that is this. The best time to spend time in the Word of God is when you don't need to. Uh, John Osteen, Joel Osteen's uh, dad, used to say this, put the Word of God in your heart when you don't need it, and it will be there when you do need it. Okay, so part of the strategy that we have is spending time in the Word of God. Now, as I told our congregation at church a couple of weeks ago, now, I love the fact that, that I get the privilege of pastoring Spring Hill Church. I love that. I, I love what I'm called to do. I love teaching the Word of God, you know, like we're doing right now. This is, this is my wheelhouse. This is my lane. This is where God has called and anointed me to operate. And I will always do that as long as I have breath in my lungs. But listen to me carefully. I can't do your Bible study for you. I can't do your Bible reading for you. I can't do your praying for you. And a lot of times what has happened in the past, not in our church per se, but in the, the, the body of Christ, is that we've grown so dependent upon the, the leadership, the pastors in our churches, that when something happens, we don't know what to do or, or what we need to do. And so our first response is, well, let me call the pastor. I'll get the pastor to pray for me. And listen, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you till the cows come home, as you know, like they say in the country. But what, what would bring more joy in my heart as a pastor is to watch you rise up with the Word of God on your own and know what to do when things happen and watch you defeat the enemy for yourself. Watch you use the name of Jesus. Watch you stand in faith. Watch you do what you know to do. Now, my job is to tell you what to do, but again... My, uh, what, what just brings great joy to my heart is to watch people that I've had the opportunity to speak into their lives win, overcome the enemy, okay? So, so my point is this, do what you need to do before the attack ever comes. Be prepared before the attack comes knowing that it's coming, okay? So um, I'm going to say this to you, all right? And then we're going to change gears a little bit. Um, if you're not doing anything for God, okay, if you're not living for God, it, it, you know, if, if God is not a, a number one priority in your heart, then guess what? You're not going to have any challenges from the enemy, okay? And so what I do, all right, I'm going to be honest with you, okay, listen to me. If I go a long stretch and I haven't been harassed by the enemy, to be honest with you, I begin to check up on myself to make sure that I'm making progress, okay? And here's why. Because if I'm not a threat to him, he has no reason to attack me, okay? I heard it said one time, you know, if, uh, if the devil is not attacking you, then it could be mean that you're walking with him, okay? Uh, that's one of those preacher sayings from a long time ago. All right, but, but what I want you to see is that... Uh, you know, as long as we're moving forward and we're walking in, in the, the knowledge that we have from the Word of God and we're growing in the things of God, then you can count on your adversary giving you a hard time, okay? Now, go over with me to Luke, the fourth chapter, please. Luke, 
the Gospel of Luke, the fourth chapter. Somebody said, Pastor, I need you to teach some positive stuff. Well, listen to me. I'm positive the devil is going to try and attack you. Okay? Okay. So, <laughs> all right, look at Luke chapter 4 and verse 13. All right, so when we begin to do what God has called us to do and we start experiencing growth and success in our walk with Jesus, okay, then we have to be mentally prepared, spiritually prepared for these things. Luke the fourth chapter and the 13th verse. Now, the New King James says this, and this is right the last verse talking about the temptation that Jesus endured for you and for me. Uh, the temptation in the wilderness, as it's called. And it says this, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, listen to this, he departed from him. Him who? Him, Jesus. Okay? So he departed from Jesus. Now notice this, until an opportune time. Let me read it to you out of the Amplified. The Amplified Bible says this, And when the devil had ended Every, in the complete cycle of temptation, he temporarily left Jesus, that is, stood off from him until another more opportune and favorable time. Now, that's Jesus. How much do you think, I mean, if Jesus wasn't exempt from that, we're not either, okay? So, the devil is observing, and maybe not him personally, but your life, my life, we're being observed so that areas of weakness, problems that we create ourselves, whatever the case might be, that they become opportunities for him to take advantage of that opportunity and come at us and attack us. Now, let me give you some good news. Go over with me to Romans 8, please. Romans, the eighth chapter. Here's, here's the promise and the good news. And this is said more than once, okay? But it's this is a powerful opportunity. I'm going to read it out of the New King James, Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 35. These are powerful scriptures. Romans 8, 35 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, verse 36, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. That's a quote from the Old Testament. Verse 37, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. Now, I don't know what translation you might be reading from, but if it says more than conquerors or anything like that, underline that or circle it in your or highlight it in your Bible. Because what I'm getting ready to tell you is going to change the meaning uh, or, or expound on the meaning, rather, of those three words. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. 
Okay. Now, anybody ever heard of a company called Nike? Yes. Okay. Nike tennis shoes, Nike sporting good equipment and all that type of thing. The word Nike in is a Greek word that means victory. I don't know if you knew that or not. And they took the name, that word and named the company after that Greek word, Nike. Okay. Now here's what's really cool. The phrase more than conquerors is a compound word. And I want you to write this down, please. It is, and I'm going to spell it for you. H U P E R N I K O S H U P E R N I K O S Hooper Nikos. Okay. Now you can kind of get a clue as to where we're going with this because anybody ever heard of the word hyper? Okay. Yeah. Like hyperactive or hypersensitive or whatever. <laughs> that comes from that Greek word, hooper. It's a prefix. So when, when Paul was writing this and he wrote that word and put hooper in front of Nikos or Nike, okay, it, it, it just causes it to become so much bigger. The, the word hooper is actually where we get our word super from, okay? So think about if Nikos means victory, think super victory. And the word conveys this, this is all in my notes, but the word means over, above, and beyond, way beyond measure. Over, beyond, above, way beyond measure. It conveys the idea of superiority, higher, better, and more than a match for. Okay. Again, it conveys the idea of superiority, higher, better, more than a match for. It means to be first rate, top-notch, unsurpassed, unequaled, and unrivaled by any person or thing. I'll say that again. It conveys the idea of superiority, higher, better, more than a match for. It means to be first-rate, top-notch, unsurpassed, unequaled, and unrivaled by any person or thing. Okay? So when you put these two words together, Hooper and Nikos, it means this, that we are greater conquerors, superior conquerors, more than a match for any foe. We are utmost conquerors, paramount conquerors. I'll repeat this, okay? First-rate conquerors, 
top-notch conquerors, unsurpassed conquerors, unequaled and unrivaled conquerors. Okay? So again, putting these two words together means that we are greater conquerors, superior conquerors, more than a match for any foe. We're utmost conquerors, paramount conquerors, first-rate conquerors, top-notch conquerors, unsurpassed conquerors, unequaled, and unrivaled conquerors. In other words, can I say this to you? You win. Amen. All right. So listen, when Paul said this, he said, yet in all these things, you know, and what I like to do is when I get definitions like this, I like to insert them into the verse. So let me do that to help you a little bit. He says this, yet in all these things, all the things that he just listed, we are uh, greater conquerors, superior conquerors, more than a match for any of those things. We're utmost conquerors, first-rate conquerors, top-notch conquerors, unsurpassed conquerors. We are unequaled. Listen, don't ever let the de devil tell you that you and he are equal. You're not. You are in Christ Jesus, and he is beneath you. He is under your feet. He is a defeated foe, and, and, and he is no match for you in Christ. Now, you get outside of Christ, he's going to whoop your tail, all right? Mm -hmm. But in Christ Jesus, he is no match for you. He, he, there, he doesn't even compare to you. All right? So we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Mm. All right? Now, I want to move into something with the, the time that we have left. Okay? Now, we have examples in the New Testament, and I'll give you a couple of them, that where the attacks of the enemy backfired on him. Now, this is what I love about God. God loves us so much that when our adversary comes and attacks us and tries to gain the upper hand in our lives, that what God will do, and I'm going to use a, a modern term, but he flips the script on him and causes what the attack was where that was designed to defeat us, he'll cause it to backfire on him and to further you. All right, let me give you an example. Anybody ever heard of a guy named the Apostle Paul? Okay, we all have. We just got through reading some of his scriptures. Now, if you study the life of the Apostle Paul, what you will find out is that in his ministry, after he gave his life to Christ and uh, began to, to travel and to minister, as we said last week, the devil went about stirring up people trying to get people uh, riled up against him and throw him in jail. And so ultimately what happened in one of those situations is Paul was a Roman citizen. And so uh, Paul appealed uh, as a Roman citizen 
to the charges that were made against him. And when you did that, what that meant was is you could ask for an audience with Caesar himself. And so Paul made that appeal. And so what happened is, is the Roman soldiers that had arrested him, when he made that appeal to Caesar, then there was no nothing else that they could do except transport him to Rome and range for opportunity for him to go before Caesar. And so Paul, again, was arrested. And if you study the latter chapters of the book of Acts, you see where uh, Paul was put on a ship. He was transported to Rome. And so the devil thought he had stopped Paul's ministry. He thought he had gained the upper hand through this arrest and, and the persecution that Paul was enduring. And Paul was in prison in Rome and was there for an extended period of time. And so the devil thought through these attacks that he had finally silenced Paul and shut down his ministry. But here's the good news. While Paul was in prison, he wrote the letters to the churches in Galatia. He wrote the epistle to the Philipp uh, Ephesians. He wrote the, the epistle to the Philippians. He wrote the epistle to the Colossians. He wrote the book of 2 Timothy, and he wrote the, the letter to Philemon. So in other words, when the devil thought he had shut Paul down and finally silenced him from preaching the gospel, Paul, while he's in that situation, God used him and through the power of the Holy Ghost, wrote some of the most powerful scriptures that you and I live off of in the New Testament today, 2,000 years later. So in other words, the... The, the devil was not able to silence Paul's voice. He just maybe changed the venue where God was able to use him. But my point is this, you and I are still walking in stuff that Paul wrote during those times that he was in prison. So the devil thought he had silenced Paul, but actually what he did is provided something for you and I to be able to live on here 2,000 years later. And that's awesome. Okay, so we see situations like that. Now, I, I want you to, to, to begin to imagine something with me, okay? Now, when Paul was imprisoned in Rome, if you read the book of Acts, what you will find is he was literally chained to a Roman soldier. There was a soldier, a, a soldier, Roman soldier, that was assigned to guard him while he was in prison. And while he was there, this soldier was assigned to care for him and to make sure that his needs were taken care of. But, you know, Paul did not have his open freedom. He was literally chained and under guard by this Roman soldier. Now, next week I'll show you some pictures that will kind of work along with this. But I want you to understand, and, and, and I'll say this to you, okay, and I usually don't, you know, promote movies and things like that, but if you ever watch the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe, if you've ever seen that movie, the first, oh, 20 minutes or so of that movie are Russell Crowe is uh, a Roman centurion. He, well, actually, he's a general, and they show and they play out a Roman attack on what is now a group of people that lived in Germany. But if you will look at and pay attention to how they dressed, how they conducted themselves, 
and just make some mental notes of how they conducted warfare. Some of the things that we'll talk about in the weeks to come will make a whole lot more sense to you. In other words, you'll have kind of a visual image in your mind. So when you picture this Roman soldier with all of his armor on, you know, the breastplate, this shiny breastplate, the helmet that has the, the feathers that go up and all of this type of thing, that's exactly what the guy looked like that Paul was chained to on a regular basis every day. And so when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, he wrote it while he was chained to this guard. And so if, if for homework, and I'll, we're going to talk a little bit more before we end, but for homework, I want to encourage you to read the book of Ephesians. It's only six chapters. You could probably sit down and read it in 30 minutes or so, depending on how fast you read, or maybe an hour. But if you broke it up, okay, so you got seven days, <laughs> all right, before next Wednesday. But I want to, I want you to read the book of Ephesians, okay? So, uh, and and then when you get to the end of the book, and if you know anything about the book of Ephesians, Paul wraps up the book talking about our spiritual warfare, okay? So, there are some things that uh, Paul talks about now. I'm, I'm going to name these things that are outlined in the book of Ephesians, okay? Just don't worry about, you know, having to know these things, but these are just some doctrinal truths that Paul covers in his letter to the church at Ephesus. So, you know, we see where Paul talks about how God chose us. That's, that's a doctrinal term called election. He, Paul talks about how we were predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the doctrine of predestination. There's adoption, where Paul tells us that we were adopted by the Father. Now, by the way, the church at Ephesus was not a Jewish church. That was not a Jewish, a, a bunch of Jews. They were Gentile people that had gotten saved, that, that had given their hearts to Christ. Then he goes on in chapter one and talks about how we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. He talks about the inheritance of the Holy Spirit. And then he, he wraps up chapter one talking about our glorious redemption and how we've been seated together with Christ far above all principality. Then in chapter two, we see Paul talking about uh, spiritual death and what it produces, its fruit. And then we then he goes in and starts talking about how rich God's mercy is that even when we were sinners, Christ died for us. Then he, he starts talking about how we're saved by grace, not by our works, but we're saved by grace. Then he goes on and, and talks about the work of the cross and what, the, what Jesus did for us at the cross. And then he moves over and starts in the third chapter talking about the mystery of Christ and, and how that's been revealed and so forth and so on. He, he teaches about... Uh, in the fourth chapter, the third, fourth, and fifth chapters, we see him talking about uh, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, all of these, these great doctrinal truths. Now turn over with me to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, please. He talks about how, you know, husbands are to treat their wives, how children are supposed to respond to their parents, and 
All of these things, all of this is covered in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And then he gets over to verse 10 in chapter 6. Now, again, I want you to get the depth of, of what just happened and what Paul has done. He's teaching this church doctrinal information, foundational information that their faith, their walk in Jesus needs to be based on. But then he says this in verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, my brethren. Now, I want you mm -hmm. to underline that word finally, please. And I'm, I'm hoping that, that whatever translation you're reading from says that, but or something like it. But the, the New King James and the Old King James says, finally, my brethren. Okay? That word finally in the Greek language lets us know that as good as this church was, as powerful as this church was, there was a possibility that there was a problem in this church. Because in this word finally, excuse me, what he's saying to them and and you might have heard me say this, if you don't get anything else out of what I just said to you, get what I'm getting ready to tell you. So think about the depth of everything that he's talked about for five chapters. And of course, the letter wasn't written in chapter and verse, but so he went into all this detail on doctrinal teaching and information, and he gets towards the end of the letter, and he says this, if you, don't, if you didn't get anything out of what I just told you, what I just went over with you, get what I'm getting ready to tell you. So what I'm wanting you to see is this. Why did he say this? What could have possibly been the situation that was going on in this Ephesians church that could have been a problem? All right? And, and this is probably it. And this, here's why. This church was not unlike a lot of churches today. Okay, what do I mean by that? Okay, and what I mean is these Christians that were at the church at Ephesus had been and were acquiring a lot of revelation and information from the Word of God and from the Spirit of God through the Apostle Paul. Of course, they didn't have the Bible like we do but they had the letters that Paul was writing. So they had been gathering all of this information, but here's the problem. Even with all of that information and all of that revelation, they were still living defeated lives. And that was the problem. And here's the, the challenge for us as believers today. There are a lot of Christians who know a lot about the Bible but yet they're still living defeated lives. Yeah. Okay. Now, why is that? Okay. Now, and you know, we, we hear Paul in, in a handful of verses at the end of chapter four. I mean, he's telling them like this, stop lying, stop stealing. Okay. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You know, just basic things. Don't let any corrupt communication come out of your mouth. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking and all these things. And so those weren't the problems. The problem was 
they were still, they had all this knowledge, but yet they were still living defeated lives. Now, let me very quickly, as we begin to wind down, give you a little bit of history about the church at Ephesus. Now, somebody says, well, why are you talking about all this? Because it's going to bear, uh, bear out. And when we begin to study what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter six called the armor of God, it's going to bear to that. And you're going to understand some things. Okay. So let me tell you a little bit about the church at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus was founded by the apostle Paul. Paul stayed there in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a city that is now in what we know as modern day Turkey. Okay. Was a very, very populated city. It was a very huge city, very cultured city, very prosperous city. And so God sent Paul into the, the city of Ephesus to found this church. And so when he launched this church, he stayed there for three years in order to begin to raise up, to teach them the word of God and to begin to raise up leadership within this church. After Paul left this church, he sent a young man named Timothy to go and pastor this church. Now, what's interesting is uh, uh, about this church is it would be considered a mega church like we have today. There were thousands of people that were part of the church at Ephesus under uh, you know, the, this, this revelation and everything that Paul was bringing to them. Now, the apostle John had left Jerusalem with the scattering of the people and he had gone up to the church at Ephesus and had become a member and a part of the church at Ephesus. Okay. Now, does anybody remember a conversation that took place with Jesus when Jesus was on the cross and you remember he was being crucified and he saw his mother standing there and he saw the, the apostle John standing there do you remember what he told his mother and what he told the apostle John? Anybody remember? Oh, I mean, John, take care of your mother. Yep. Mm -hmm. So John was given an assignment to take care of Mary, Jesus' mother. He said, he told Mary, he said, Mary, or not Mary, but behold your son. And then he told John, behold your mother. And so John was given the assignment to take care of Mary for the rest of his life. So guess what? If the apostle John was at the church at Ephesus, guess who else was at the church at Ephesus? Mary, the mother of Jesus. So you had people there that had physically been with Jesus, that had traveled with him, that had ministered with him. Okay. Now, because this church was such a great thriving church, we have record that the apostle Peter had come to the church at Ephesus to teach. We have record that uh, another minister that you might've heard about in the new Testament named Apollos. Apollos had gone to Ephesus to minister. We, um, we know that Priscilla and Aquila who were at mm -hmm. the church at Rome, had had been driven out of Rome because of persecution and had traveled to Ephesus. So wh what's your point, Pastor? Well, my, my point is this. 
Ephesus had some of the most rich spiritual resources available to it, okay? As far as people that had physically walked with Jesus, had seen Jesus, experienced his ministry firsthand, had seen miracle after miracle after miracle, and experienced all of these things. On top of that, you had the Apostle Paul who had received direct revelation from the Lord and had come and ministered these powerful truths to them. But here's the challenge. With all of these resources available, these Christians were still not living the victorious lives that Jesus had planned for them. So there was a challenge. There was a, a problem. They were mature and developed in the area of doctrine and knowledge but they failed to mature and understand things where spiritual warfare were concerned. And so Paul mm -hmm. felt the need at the end of his letter to them to address that issue and to begin to teach them and to deal with them about spiritual warfare and what it's all about and how to posture yourself and walk in it. So. What, what my challenge to us is this, and this is one of the reasons I believe the Lord has led us to talk about these things, is because it's wonderful to have revelation, knowledge, and insight from the Word of God, of who we are in Christ, the things that belong to us in Christ, the wonderful promises of God. But listen, if you don't know how to defeat your adversary, you are a lopsided Christian, okay? And so what we're going to endeavor to do in the weeks to come is to bring the insight that God gave Paul to give to the church at Ephesus through Ephesians chapter 6 and the armor of God. And we're going to learn about those things so that we don't end up being lopsided Christians like the church at Ephesus was. We'll be well balanced. We'll be full of revelation and insight and we will know how to defeat our adversary and to walk in the victory that Jesus bought and paid for us to have. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.